Yes, welcome to another episode of the Brand Width Podcast. My name is Sam McEwen and joining me as always, Dean Milson. How are you, Dean? I'm okay, mate. I'm okay. I'm uh, a bit over lockdown like all of us Melbournians are, but I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to chatting you today. Yes, I think uh, we can. I can certainly. Um, I can understand that, and uh, it's all taken about it. None less my haircut at the moment, which is is uh, faring a lot worse than yours by the looks of things. Oh, so. I don't know about that, mate. I don't know about that. You got. I've been. Uh, my wife has threatened to go uh, go my mullet at the back here with. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, both got a bit of a seventies vibe going on, and not in the good good way either. But uh, how good a podcast then, hey? Hey, I know. You know. <laughs> got an even better place for podcasts right now. And, and I dare say there may be, a, 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 look, probably not many, but there's probably a few larger implications on the world than, than our uh, hairdos as a result you of are, you are rocking, various you lockdowns. Are but uh, hopefully by the time all our lovely listeners are, are getting to this, there'll be no more lockdowns anywhere in the world and we'll be getting on with uh, with life and, and doing some amazing marketing and that's branding. It. Yep, yep. So, um, yeah, look, last, last episode you brought up the topic of behavioral science and uh, interestingly, a new paper has just landed on my desk from Google and a team of researchers called the uh, Behavioral Architects. Oh. And um, as, as I worked my way through it, it sort of reinforced a, a few of the points that, that you raised in the last episode about signaling and the the broader concept of of these behavioral biases or cognitive biases um that i know that you're going to explore a little more closely in in coming episodes Uh, so i thought this was you know a topical discussion point as well as a timely one given that this paper's just been released yeah i haven't read it yet so yeah so um yeah but look the you know Behavioural biases and topical nature of this aside, I think the, the main reason I wanted to discuss this today was because I actually think it's going to be a really important paper and yeah. it's resulted in what I believe is a, a small but very significant update to our understanding of a critical phase of the consumer decision-making process, yeah. namely the way that we explore and evaluate purchase options. Okay. So um, the paper is called Decoding Decisions, The Messy Middle of Purchase Behaviour. And, um, yeah, the the research sort of consisted of of two sides. The first was an observation of several hundred hours of real consumers shopping online. Yep. And what they did was they, um, they used screen recording to record the process in real time. And um, the shoppers themselves then sort of talked the researchers through, I don't know if it was, it was captured by audio or, or whether researchers were sitting with them, um, but basically talked researchers what they were doing sure. while they were working through these. these um, yeah. And, and then what they, what they did, uh, the, this team at the, the Behavioural Architects, is, is they then sort of took all this video footage and annotated the the playback and noted different cognitive biases that yes. they observed um, uh, th- throughout. So, yep. yeah, re- really interesting. So, um, and then there was this, so that was sort of the first stage, yep. and, and and that's the stage that I'm I'm probably going to talk about most today. But then there was this second part as well, which were, they they then recruited a thousand shoppers across thirty one different categories. 
Yep. Um, the shoppers all had to be in the market for for, for something within the, each category. Uh, and then they put together this simulation where they, they then tweak to varying degrees each of these sort of six major cognitive biases that they, they landed on. I guess, you know, that they sort of identified these as the major six biases that they observed in the first start. Yep. And, and the first part of the study. And, um, what type and, of and things then, are they buying? Like, is it, um, are they, it, it was it was a pretty sort of wide ranging okay. set. So everything from like detergent and shampoo. Yeah. Uh, um, there there was like um, uh, broadband plans, okay. insurance, cars. Okay. Um, it was a pretty broad set. Um, yeah. So so they're obviously trying to be to be quite complete yeah. in, in all of this. And you know it's interesting because there were cert- there was certainly variance uh, across the products, but um, there was also a surprising amount of consistency, yeah, uh, which which was interesting as well. So so you know right throughout you know there, there was probably sort of the, their main takeaways were were consistent across all categories, whether it's detergents or cars, yep. um, much more consistent than you'd expect. But then you know that there there was noticeable sort of. Um, well, probably the differences were more about how how effective different biases were depending on the category rather than whether they were effective, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's really interesting. So they sort of identified these these six major biases to, to look at and then they put together this simulation where they tweaked the different biases to sort of work out, okay, well, how effective is, it, is each of this going to be in, um, in in drawing someone away from what they, their stated preferred brand to another brand yeah um which which was really interesting so look that part i think you know maybe uh something that we we delve into in a little bit more detail in a in a future podcast uh, i did one of the reasons i don't or i'm sort of focusing on the first part a little bit more today is because i actually thought that when they moved into that simulate simulation I actually thought there was some, you know, it maybe wasn't as robust a study as as the first part was, yeah. Uh, and and that some of the uh, some of the takeaways from that study wasn't really anything new. Um, there was some really interesting takeaways, and there were some really interesting findings, but they probably just supported. You know things that we already knew, and and that you know I know that, that your research that you've been looking into some of these cognitive biases probably already came to the same findings and the same conclusions. So I, I thought that would probably may not have been so um, enlightening. Whereas I think some of the, the 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 findings in the first part of the study, you know, might appear small, but but actually probably going to have longer lasting impl- implications to the way we think about consumer decision making. Cool. Hit me with it. I love uh, I What I like about that um, is is that breadth. Like you can often, you know, um, and it'll I'll, I'll probably touch on a few ideas I've got for some future podcasts as well. But the you know the you know the because I think the the category or the, the the product can you know or you would assume make maybe does make a big difference. But it's nice to, you know if it confirms that it maybe doesn't. Then, then that's some um, really good information to know, isn't it? Because it doesn't, you know, there's some. We're all looking for rules or you know frameworks that that can that can you know guide us heuristics. <laughs> yeah, guide 
our, our marketing um, in, um, in in you know different ways, and if you work with a you know a broad range of of, of, of clients or situations, it's um, it's good to know that it works broadly. Yeah, I think so. I think that that, that was definitely a, a big part of it for me. Um, uh, yeah, as well as that that consistency uh, across it, and you know, and that sort of reinforces you know just you know sort of the, the the point a little bit as well it's like well if it if it works consistently then there must be some truth to it right yeah. um the, the other thing for me and this is the bit that, that we'll that we'll touch on now is just that that once once i read this research it just seemed so obvious you know and i think sometimes the sometimes the evidence uh, of of uh, a model if you're talking theoretic models of uh, you know of how good a model is is that it just it's sort of like older, you know, but, but, you know, you know as soon as you read it, it's, it just becomes so evident and, 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 and obvious, you know, I think that can sometimes be the, the uh, benchmark, I guess, of a good model. Yeah. So, yep. um, yeah, so I'll, I'll jump into that part. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think, you know, in order to, to understand the implications and, and the, the adjustment and expansion um, that, that I think this research enables us in, in, in the models that we have available to us for consumer decision-making, we probably do need to have a, a basic understanding of the existing models as, as, as they exist yep. you know, prior to this, this study. So, you know, without going into too much detail on each of them, you know, I, I think it's pretty commonly accepted that consumer purchasing decisions generally start with some sort of a trigger. Yep. Let's call this awareness of need. <laughs> and, um, and then they progress through to the consideration of potential solutions, you know, think categories that, that could address that need. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we're considering the solutions, we begin to build some sort of a mental list of, of potential options, right, which we'll call the consideration set yep. because that's what it's called. And um, it's sort of at this point, we, we then enter a process of reduction until we land on, you know, a purchasing decision that will adequately meet our needs, um, you know, which would then be the decision or action stage. Yep. So, look, obviously that's a pretty simple model um, and, and, and my, you know, like the simplest model we'll, we'll come across, but I think this was pretty much the general concept that was captured in Elmo Lewis's ADA model when it was first published way back in 1898. 1898, wow. Right, it's pretty crazy. So, yeah, and, and that, that I think is the model that, you know, the, the, you know if you read that, it's no less true today than, than it was, I imagine, back in 1898. I love a simple model because... You know, if, if you can, you know, we don't need to overcomplicate things, do we? And I think in the, you start to think about, you know, when you said before, um, oh, it just seems so obvious, that's great because it probably means it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And, and I think too, you know, I mean, what, one of my big pet peeves, if I could digress for a moment, is is this, you know, in today's day and age with, you know, social media and everything, you know, we're so different too and it just drives me nuts. And if I if I have to, like, nothing tunes me out quicker when I'm sitting at a conference or, or something than, than if I hear that, those, that, that combination of terms of these days and social media and I just, I just, it just tune right out because I, I just think it is so overplayed yep. and, and I, I tend to think that, you know, as consumers, at least at least in the developed world, from the moment that we've been able to have 
um, some choice in, in wants and that we've been able to fulfill our, our basic human needs and move into a, into some kind of state where we can start to, uh, you know, optimize our luxury or something. Um, that, that, you know, we're, we're basically the same and, and, and maybe these channels have changed slightly and, and that the ways of methods of doing you know, making decisions have changed slightly, but those basic human instincts are the same as they've always been. Yep. Um, and, and a model that existed in 1898 that, that still adequately describes, you know, our decision-making process today has got to be a pretty good model, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think that was that was a sort of basic one, you know, and the, and the first one that I know of anyway. Um, and then, of course, subsequent models have, have built upon that framework, you know, adding and expanding upon specific parts of the model or, or developing, you know, deeper understandings of, you know, how consumers form impressions of brands and how these impressions might impact different parts of the decision-making process. But, but I think that models the sort of basis of it um, and, and the, the core understanding. So anyway, flash forward to 2009 and McKinsey and company released what I believe was one of the most important updates to this, this model in a paper pretty aptly just uh, if, if somewhat uninspiringly titled The Consumer Decision Journey. And um, this this paper by McKinsey and Company argued that the the model most commonly associated with consumer decision making journey, um, which was a, a funnel, yep. is is no longer adequate to, to illustrate consumer decision making, and instead they proposed this this more circular journey, um, which was which was pretty interesting. But I think the real breakthrough in this particular paper came in their analysis of the consideration stage of the journey, which they split into two important components, which was initial consideration and then active evaluation. Yep. So initial consideration, um, and I I think I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but I'll mention it again, is, is this mental list of brands that immediately come to mind when we think of a particular category be that television, soft drinks, toilet paper, you know, whatever the category, we think of a category and these brands, um, you know, immediately come to, to mind and and it's, it's these brands and the order in which they appear that form this initial consideration set. Mental availability, um, Mr. Sharp would call that. What was that one? Mental mental availability. Mental availability, exactly, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, good old Byron Sharp. We can't go an episode without him coming <laughs> up, nor should we. So that, that was this this initial consideration set. Um, but then the big revelation from, from this study and the one that anyone who deals with me on any kind of regular basis is sick to death of hearing about, um, but I'm going to repeat anyway, is that on average... of final purchase decisions made occur from brands within this initial consideration set. Yep. Which I just think is is huge, um, you know, in in and of itself. Well, Um, and it it goes to show you how hard it is. Like I think, um, you know, I I think marketers can do themselves a disservice by (laughs) being too optimistic um, and, you know, making it sound easy because it's actually not. It's um you know there's yeah. a lot of stuff you can't control and that's why it is hard work um to 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 get you know to 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 get into that 
consideration list to get to build that awareness yeah. and mental availability. It's that, that's right. Up. Like, I mean, you know, you could study whole courses and, and probably should, and, and as marketers, you can work a whole career just to try to to get to a point where, where you know, you're, you're good at just that component. So, you know, it's certainly not simple, but I think having that understanding that it exists <laughs> and that this is a, an important part of that process, um, you know, can, can at least ramp home that the importance of this and, and allow us to focus some energy on it, right? Which, which is, which is, which is great. And, and I think, you know, I mean, what bigger endorsement can, can you find for investing in brand advertising? Um, you know, that, that, you know, invest in brand ads or instantly exclude yourself from 35% of the final purchasing decisions, right? Like, um, it's, it's, it's pretty compelling. So, um, you know, not to say that it's easy, but, but certainly worthy is, is, is a good start. Um, and, but then of course the, the converse, I think, is therefore that 65% of final purchasing decisions come from outside of that initial consideration set. And, and what is that phase? And, and this is the state that McKinsey and Co. termed active evaluation, you know, and, and I think the culmination of these two findings is a picture of a consumer decision making that starts with like a flash of memory or, and a small selection of brands and then expanded upon through, you know, sort of active conscious research to, to build a larger consideration set and then we whistle that set down again to a smaller number of, you know, acceptable brands um, from which we make a final choice. And, and of course, at this point, we repeat, you know, the Rory Sullivan quote that you mentioned in our last episode, which is that final purchase decision, you know, people do not choose brand A over brand B because they think brand A is better, but because they are more certain that it's good. No, yes, <laughs> that's right. Um, you know, and that whole concept of risk aversion. So this was, you know, this is that point where, where I was reading through the study that I was like, oh, wow, it hit me. Like, you know, all those things we spoke about in that last podcast. If you haven't listened to that podcast, I, I encourage you to go back to it where we sort of start the, the, the discussion around signaling and, and these shortcuts, these mental shortcuts that we, that we make in, in decision making. But, um, yeah, it's a form you know. of mental accounting, isn't it? You're kind of weighing up them, you know, even I'll use a supermarket because it's an easy option, uh, an easy, um, um, situation to think of. But, you know, if you've, you've not kind of made a decision, you have a, you know, you have that flash of, um, inspiration that you, you know, you need, you know, some, pack of the chips this this you know today um you know it might be on a whim as you walk past the aisle even and then you're sitting there you know so say standing there you know surveying what's possible you're weighing up the you know the the brands you know the ones you don't the prices that they are yeah you know and 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 so you're you kind of it's where all of these you know heuristics kick in because yeah um otherwise you'd be if you had to make a decision like that um you know for every single purchase you made life would be um you know pretty damn boring <laughs> um, yeah and, yeah and, 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 and your brain would explode right yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like you just you just couldn't do it it's it's, it's not that it, you know like that the and i think that you might you may have mentioned this in that last episode it's the you know the, the the physical drain of energy that would be required for every purchase decision if we if we did actually work our way to making the most rational best decision would be too much yeah you know the, it, it would consume too much energy so we have to develop these 
this mental shortcut. So, you know, that was, you know, when I first came across this McKinsey and Company research, um, sadly it wasn't in 2009 when it was <laughs> when it was first published. I wish I had of. Um, but, you know, at some point afterwards, you know, that, that was that moment. It was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, like I said, this was so obvious that, you know, I, I, I could immediately identify that process in myself to, to know that, yeah, this is, this is absolutely how it happens, you know, and, um, you know, I've, I've since run, uh, you know, a series of experiments with people, um, albeit not in a very scientific way, where, you, you know, you throw brands out there. You know, and, and you see what, what what's that initial consideration set that comes to mind? And it is, it's this flash of memory every time. Yeah. So Yeah. Um and, and the other the other thing that excited me at the time when I came across this research was that it was so actionable. Like it, it was really clear as soon as you read that research and as soon as you understand that research, you know, the, an effective marketing strategy is therefore one which influences initial consideration. And then also ensures that your brand is present during active evaluation. Yep. You know, and that if you can do even a modest job at, at both of those things, that you've got the basis of a good marketing campaign and a good marketing strategy. Um, so, you know, and, and that, that was the big one for me, you know, and that's why I, I bore my clients and colleagues and friends and yourself and, and now our listeners <laughs> to death with this particular piece of research because, you know, it, it's just so actionable and, and it really straightens you up as a marketer, I think, is that if you just simply focus on those two things, you know, in, influencing initial consideration and then being present during active evaluation, you're going to do a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, so that was that was 2009, and, and that's that's why I love that research, and why I continue to, to to love that research. So flash forward again now to present day, and this latest set of research from from Google and the the um, behavioural architects, and I think this study sort of made a, a similar expansion uh, upon our understanding, but this time relating specifically to active evaluation. Yep. And that stage. So what the study found was that this this Active evaluation, um, you know, which it, when McKinsey and Company defined it was a sort of splitting of the consideration set. You know, we, 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 we had this consideration stage as a single stage and then they've, their research said, okay, well, actually that's not a single stage, that's two stages. That's initial consideration and active evaluation. Yeah. So, so Google and co have, have done that again and now looking at active evaluation and, and their study has found that actually this stage is much more complex than, than we may have been led to believe. Um, and, and that there's no such thing as a typical journey in active evaluation. Um, and instead what there is, is, is this sort of confusing web of touch points. Yep. And, and the active evaluation itself is actually two states. And those two states are exploration and, and evaluation. Yep. And that we move between these two states oh, in yeah. what they've termed this exploration and evaluation loop. Yep. All right, which I think is just a really, really lovely way of looking at it. And and that what happens is we move backwards and forwards from one state, a state of exploration, um, to, to the other, the state of evaluation, as we refine our mental list. And we sort of continue to oscillate, you know, b- between these two states, you know, sometimes forever, sometimes without making a, a purchase decision at all, sometimes yep. a purchase decision or, or actually, the 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 um, what we're evaluating completely changes mid cycle, and and, uh, and you know, and we're looking at a completely different set. And I th- um, and the, yeah, I was going to say, I think that's 
the interesting thing about research like that, in, I'm assuming from Google, a lot of it's based on search. Um, yes, yeah, big so time. So these types of things when, you know, you're sitting in, it's a bit different in a, in a supermarket, go back to that example for a moment, where it's probably, you're, you're, you're probably less, you've got the set in front of you and so yep. you're, you're not doing, the exploration part is probably um, uh, shorter. Um, but, you know, you think about, you know, I'm sure anyone listening can kind of think about a situation where they've been looking for something online, you get new information, um, that changes the way you look at something or then you have to go back and reconsider something else. And even with, you know, in a, in a short amount of time, you you can wax and wane between, you know, different things. And, and to the point of, like you said, and I noticed this a few times with me recently, they must, that you just don't, don't do anything about it. You know, you don't make yeah. a decision. I'd love to know what the, <laughs> if you know, what, 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 what the, what the numbers are on, um, you know, people not making abandonment. Yeah. Aban- what, what, abandonment. Abandonment. Yeah, I, I yeah. think this is this is the point. I mean, in, in, in my world, I'm not sure if you, if you touch on this as, as much, but, uh, you know, from the, the digital marketing world that, the, that I live in, um, you know, like and when we talk with our e-commerce retailers, we talk about cart abandonment yeah. constantly, yeah. right? And that's such a, a big part. Um, you know, what struck me when I read this, this research I've never thought of before is, well, there's actually just decision abandonment. Yes. You know, there's this complete abandonment decision, and uh, look, I get again. You know, as marketers, you know, we should we shouldn't think of, we should never, um, you know, take our own experiences because as soon as we become marketers, you know, we become unqualified to to um, actually use our own you know purchasing decisions as uh, as as uh, you know a basis for for understanding consumers. We're not consumers anymore. We're marketers. Um, but you know, when you do, when I do think uh, about about the those decisions that I that I make, I'd say probably the amount of time I abandon probably eighty percent of purchasing decisions, probably more ninety percent of purchasing decisions, you know, without ever coming back to them. My um, my Chrome browser on my phone has ninety uh, uh un or ninety opened tabs in it. And, and my wife saw it the, the other day and she said, how have you got 90 open tabs close some of these? And I said, no, 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 you can't. They're, they're all things that I intend to come back to. They're important things that I haven't acted upon yet that I plan on acting That's upon. my brain. <laughs> and is it like I thought when I, when, I, when I read this, I thought that's probably, they're probably 90 abandoned, maybe not all purchasing decisions, <laughs> but 90 Abandoned decisions, just sitting there on my Chrome browser, <laughs> that I may or may not come back from. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, there, maybe there's some truth to this. Or, but there's a couple of quotes actually. I'll, I'll jump ahead because now that you've brought it up, there's a couple of quotes. Um, if I can find them, uh, that that from the paper and and, and elsewhere that that I think speak to this. So, um, where are we? So, uh, uh, here we go. So, one was was this. Many of the shoppers spent six significant amounts of time navigating backward and forth, switching between sites across multiple browser tabs and apps. In fact, in some of the sessions we observed, the product under consideration actually changed mid-search as a new option came about so I mean that that's exactly what we were uh, what we we're talking about, and um, there was another one here somewhere. 
uh, I'll see if I can cover it. But anyway, there was another quote that, that came to mind. So I, I mentioned before uh, that there was a, a great book which I, which I read by uh, Al and Laura Russ yep. um, called The 22 Immutable Laws of Branding. And so th- this book was written in 1998, which was the same year that Google launched, right? So this was a, you know, more or less a, a, a pre-Google book. But it was also updated in, in around about 2002, which was at the end of the first internet bubble. So you know, it was a re- it's a really interesting book to read now because what you've got is a book on branding predominantly, um, but they spend a fair bit of time within the book you know, really trying to to understand the importance of branding and what was a rapidly changing sort of new yeah. internet economy and trying to take these sort of branding rules and describe to someone who, who you know, a reader, I guess, an imagined reader uh, that was trying to make sense of this new internet world and, and what that meant, you know, for, from the world of brand. And, you know, for, for me reading it, you know, some 20-odd years on, I thought what was amazing was how much they actually got right, and and of course they they got a lot wrong. Yeah. Um, and, but there, there was a quote from that book where they say where they say you could you know you, you mentioned the supermarket aisles you can cruise the aisles of a supermarket and pick up brands that look interesting, but cruising on the internet is a totally different story. Ah, uh, yeah. With, with millions of sites to choose from, you pretty much have to know where you're going before you embark on your internet journey. You can, of course, start your journey with, at a search engine site, but that's only a temporary solution. As more and more brands get embedded in the prospect's mind, why would anyone want to waste time checking in with a search engine when he or she can go directly to the site? Yeah, that's, so, um, that's really interesting. It's made me, I don't want to, um, it'll, be a, it'll be a short digression, but I think it makes sense. For me, Sam and you and I have history in being um, with um, with music and and yep. um, particularly electronic music. That description there is what happened when we went from um, record stores to online, um, you know, online stores like Beatport, yeah. for example. Like you could you could you could go into a you know a place where there was a curated set of things to interesting things to pick up and let's, so let's call them brands that you know that, that yep. record or that label you know you could and and now it, you know now you're you know the choice is almost infinite it's it's um it's you know <laughs> the cognitive strain um you know it, it's not an enjoyable experience and so yeah it's kind of what's happened in a lot of ways isn't it like it's it, it's, it's, it's a great it's analogy it's exactly what's happened right and, and i think thinking thinking that through yourself what happened physically is okay our environment changed our needs changed and that the the idea of a record store existing in our world is is not one that's really sustainable right in, in just the way that 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 we now live our lives um, and so we moved to what is a what is a more convenient method yep, of obtaining music which is which is a, a digital store but then you lose that curated sense that, that you spoke of and so while it was more convenient it's also a worse outcome right and, and you'd know this yourself what we ended up with is missing music and and we didn't have that curated set to go to so we end up looking for other alternatives, I guess, shortcuts, if you like, heuristics yes. maybe. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. To, you know, and these are the top 100 lists or whatever. But these, of course, in, by nature, are not very good because they tend to be generic. 
And, you know, there's an effect, I'm sure it's been documented somewhere, you know, on Netflix and and other things where these algorithms just lead us to a really generic, um, you know, set of choices rather than a a good set of choices or the best set of choices or or, or whatever it might be. Um, So they're less than perfect. They might be convenient, but they're less less than perfect. And so what does that actually do to us as consumers? Well, it adds this whole layer of informational burden yeah. On, onto us, decision-making burden, whereas, yes, okay, maybe it's more convenient to just do this online, but now we spend two or three hours scrolling through Netflix looking for something to watch instead of actually watching something. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. I think Rory would call that satisficing. Like we yeah. we satisfy, so we get to. So, which, you know, the discussion we're having is a because um, an interesting one that, that maybe there's a bit of a paradox going on here because we all – Wants the brands we work on to be interesting and the best, but but maybe they we have to make sure that there there's an element of generic in them, um, yeah. You know, so that they 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 you know the, they become part of that decision set. Yeah, well, there's there's a sort of nature for broad appeal, and yeah, you know, and, and and I have no doubt that in time we're going to develop new systems for this, right? There'll be better ways. Where there's going to have to be a, a way of curation, and maybe that's the rise of the influencer, right? Maybe that's the right, you know, like. That, now, that's why, you know, the, I mean, there's a cognitive bias in itself, right? There's an authority bias, oh, right? We're, we're looking proof. for authority that's, figures. That's, we're looking for social it. proof, exactly. Like, this is how these biases start to emerge in in our online shopping behaviours, and this is certainly a big component of, of this paper and, and what they talk about, you know, is, is that we start looking for these shortcuts because we now have this, this dual effect of information overload. We've got more information than we could ever uh, you know, um, ever hope to 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 work our way through. Yep. So, so and, we, and we sort of spoke about this in a, in a you know in an old fashioned or in a you know pre digital um, way. We already had too much information to 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 sort through to make a perfect decision. Um, but but you know, new technology has certainly not made that any easier. And uh, there's a fair argument to say that we now have greater access to information. Um, but a lot of it's confusing, a lot of it's all mixed up and, and there's more of it there. So that, that burden, that, that, that energy burden that's placed on our brains to try to make sense of this, to come to a purchasing decision is, is in, increased and therefore the risk associated with making a bad decision is heightened. We're now in situations where we can't make, where we actually have, even though we may have more information, it's less perfect. Like you said in the record store analogy, right? We don't have a, a nice, simple, already curated list of, of products to choose from. We have an infinite list of products to choose from. You know, we're not walking down a, 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 a shopping aisle anymore, a supermarket aisle. We have this infinite supermarket uh, of the internet um, that, that we're trying to, to make these decisions from. And so suddenly this the stress of, of this purchase decision is, is heightened. Um, and this is what this paper discusses and this is what they term the messy middle. And yep. this is this loop that we find ourselves in and of exploration and evaluation. And this is probably why, you know, if, if you know, my experience is that I abandon 80 to 90% of the, the purchasing decisions that I, you know, or the journeys that I start down. This is probably why because it's just so much that we end up um, – you know, it ends up just becoming too much for us. So we don't make a decision well, at all. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're. I'm not thinking back to the times I've done that recently. I, something caught my attention, 
think, oh, that, that looks really interesting. And then you almost put it in your cart because um, uh, as a test, uh, mm. like it's like, oh, okay. And then, and then, but the checkout button is the real test. Like, am I, yeah. am I, have I got enough information? Am I, am I feeling good enough about this purchase? And that, that, you know, that I, I was going to come back to like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, the, what is the answer to that? Um, that the infiniteness of it all, like surely it is, um, you know, more, more, more brand mental availability more. I mean, you've got to, mm. you've got to, and, and that goes to signaling as well. If I've seen you before, if I've seen, you know, um, seen, seen an ad for that or seen that brand somewhere on the internet and I then come to, you know, at a point where I may not have been making a decision or may not, you know, be in any, you know, in any need state really, this is the challenge because that's what um, inefficient, you know, media used to do. I, you know, you would yeah. be, you'd be, you know, communicating to everyone, and you know, uh, you know, I might see, you know, see an ad, ad for a bike brand or something, you know, and then, you know, a year later, it's like now I'm in the, you know, now I'm in the the market for, yeah. for a, to buy a bike. Whereas at that time, so you can see marketers going well, or you know, I don't want to spend money, you know. To, it's hard to to spend money to target everyone, you know. Don't be silly, but at the yeah. same token, you kind of have to. So, and, and making and, those and decisions is, to weigh that up. Yeah, and this is the other thing. This is why I don't, I don't think this behaviour is new, and this is why again I, I think that it's so. Like, yes, maybe it's been heightened by the by the way that we use the internet and shop online and all these kind of things. Maybe this this has increased or or brought to the surface some of these behaviours. But these these I'm, I'm sure have existed forever. These sort of indecision loops and and all these kind of things. But that process that you spoke about of putting it in your checkout and you know seeing what happens you know i i think this is huge because i think we uh, you know whether consciously or unconsciously and i probably argue consciously many times we sort of assume that if it really is a good decision we will come back we will come back to it you know like i'll just yes. no, you know and that, that's that's why i've got those tabs open on my on my browser it's like at some point, I'll. Um, you're waiting to be felt. You're waiting to feel good about it. You're yeah, to you're validated. I think it was a word you about. Yeah, like I want yeah. that validation that that I need this. I think I need it. I think it seems good. I think I've done the research. I think I've landed on this product or this service. But you know, I, I just want to wait and see. And if and if I if it really is a good decision. Yeah. Then I'll be reminded of it a week from now or a month from now uh, or, or whatever. Um, and then, of course, there's, there's, a, there's an opportunity, I guess, that you don't make a decision, that you forget about it, that if, if there's not continued marketing efforts, you know, or, or visibility, um, that, that we just won't ever, ever make that decision. And that's, that's absolutely one side of it. But then the other side of it, and this, again, is something that the paper tackles, is that actually what we need is a trigger throughout that loop to, to snap us out of that loop so that we may just continue on this cycle of evaluation and exploration forever, you know, and that, that it might morph and change and yeah. disappear and, and, of course, no two journeys is, is alike. It's, and that's why the, the, the sort of theme of this paper is the messy middle. That's what they've termed. This is the messy middle on this, this theme and that we need this trigger to, to um, snap us out of it and that the right triggers and different triggers can actually have a, Really profound impact, and that's where they t- where they move down that stage of cognitive biases because they say, okay, well, these biases, whether it's scarcity or whether it's an authority bias yeah, okay. or, ah. or social proof, they provide that recognition that that we need, or maybe it's the risk averse nature that you mentioned in in our last podcast. You know that we're just sort of looking for that that 
point to say, hey, it's okay. You have permission. You have permission to act because, you know, it's a good deal or, or um, yeah, you know, okay. hey, Kim Kardashian likes it. So Yeah. No, okay, yeah. Because I was going to say one of those – are those triggers more like giving people reasons to, to, to buy, like, you know, messaging about backing up the, the different need states? So that's one way, but what you're saying is in the report of, is, is that it's, it's also how, you know, it's a good, it's, it's where, um, where those, you know, biases can be tapped into because yeah, well, it, it does, it, it creates a, I mean, that um, it's such a basic, simple, <laughs> you know, expression of it. But you know that um you know there's only three left or you know mm. whatever it does it just speaks to you <laughs> you know straight away even if you don't want it to it it has yeah. an impact it has an impact so so this is what they did so they, they, I mean it was you know, I said I wasn't going to touch on this but we're, you know this is where the discussion's gone um you know what one of what they what they then did so in the second phase what they did is they, so the first stage was just observation of actual purchasing decisions in the wild right yep. And then the second thing, what they did is they is they recruited these a thousand shoppers across these thirty one categories, and they 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 built a simulated environment. And what they did was at the start they asked each consumer um, within this category that they that they had um, said that they were in the market for. Yep. Um, that they they asked them to list their preferred brand. You know what what was their what was their preferred brand. Mm-hmm. And then what they did is they put that preferred brand up against a secondary brand. Yep. Um, there's was, there was another stage to this, which I'll get to, but they put it up against a secondary brand. And then they, they created this sort of fake website. And this is where I think the methodology does start to bring in some pretty noticeable um, uh, you know, implications uh, and, and um, why, why it's not a perfect study, I don't think. But anyway, they built this website and they basically put the two brands side by side. And in the first test, what they did was they basically, they took these six um, cognitive biases that they identified and I find uh, what they were. So the six that they used was um, category heuristics so that which they defined as shortcuts or rules of thumbs that that, that helped people make decisions and and they use the examples there of, of this is you know the amount of memory in a laptop or the number of carrots in a diamond right so um, yeah so this is a specific type of heuristic right a category heuristic um, you know megapixels on a camera was one that came to yep. mind for me um, so they took that then there was authority bias. Um, which was which was sort of you know third party endorsements maybe you know like a, a review from a impartial magazine or something like this right mm-hmm. um, scarcity bias which we've discussed um, you know the, the limited time offers and these kind of things um, the power of free so the, the the power that you know some kind of free offer can can influence well, behaviour we've been talking about that recently just with um. With some ads and a landing page we've done for Demarca, and we were like, yep. you know, to the end of the day, you know, if you're wanting to, um, you know, get in and have a conversation with someone, you oh, that whole kind of we were laughing, going, well, I've kind of heard enough, you know, obligation free call or an obligation free discussion. Yeah. It's a bit, we, you know, uh, it's a bit boring, but um, and so we were looking at different ways to kind of say that and and you know, we, you know give you some of our time for free or a free chat even and then we were like yeah. oh free I hate that word but um, we decided to run and have a bit of a test with it because you know it's 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 known to be a <laughs> a trigger even just that word yeah maybe you know the the 
you know, whatever you're giving away for free might not actually be, you know, that 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 much, but the word free um, has such yeah. an effect on Well, from, from the study, this you might find this yeah. from the study, the power of free can be a major influence on behaviour having either the largest or second largest wow. effect on transfer of preference in 18 out of 31 of the categories. So um, pretty significant yeah. was their conclusion. Um, and then the final one was was the power of now which was, you know, immediacy, right, like being able to, to either, you know, next-day delivery and these yep. kind of things or same-day delivery. And that. So they, um, yeah, so anyway, so they, they basically, so the, in the first test, they, they showed the state and preferred brand for the particular consumer against another brand. Uh, I, I believe it may have been the, the second choice brand for, from that consumer. Yeah. Um, so, so I think they must have listed the uh, you know that the, the brands in that initial consideration set that they that they preferred and in order, and then they so they showed that this sort of number one brand against number two, yep. and then what they did is on this sort of uh, simulated website is is they made completely um, even cognitive biases, right, or, or, or elements that would that would uh, um, exploit or trigger yeah. the, these these cognitive biases completely even right so the category heuristics were the same it was the same number of megapixels or the same amount of ram or whatever um in both brands yeah. and um you know it, they both had five star reviews and they both they both had you know the same number of uh, you know the limited time for the offer and all these kind of things everything was 100 percent equal um, and so, interestingly, even then, pretty much across the board, somewhere in the order of thirty percent of people switched, which, which is pretty amazing to me. Like you've literally nothing has changed. You've stated your preferred brand, and just by pre- just by presenting an alternative option, yeah, um, that's more or less equal. I think that's probably the proviso there that you know it's an equal option. Yeah, there you go. But you know the price is the same. Everything's the same. As what you have already stated as your preferred brand, nothing else has changed. And, you know, depending on the category, but somewhere around the order of 30% of the time, people would switch just by there being another option. Yeah, so that was people. That's, well, are they like no, no, right? It shows the fragility of, of these brand decisions. So I thought, that, I thought that was really interesting in and of itself. But then you know to sort of you know what, um, to, to bring it back to what we were discussing. So then the next phase of it was okay. Then they started to sort of test all these biases by by um, just just changing one, yep. right? So you know one would have a better better um, review or uh, and these kind of things. And yep. again, I think maybe another podcast. We'll discuss some of those things, but of course, you know that the conclusion was that each of these cognitive biases, in, in different ways, were, was able to transfer more of, of the consumers towards an alternative brand. Um, but then the interesting thing was when they stacked these together. So uh, I think they they, they called them the sort of you know, supercharged effects of all of these biases. Um, you know, then of course the effect was even greater yeah. again. So, you know, the conclusion being that, that you know, these biases are, uh, and, you know, exploiting, which, which may not be the, the best term for these, triggering these biases in different ways are powerful. But when you can, when you can use multiple biases yeah. in, in a number of ways, they you know, it becomes, yeah, even, even more again. I, so It just makes me, before we kind of start to wrap it up, the mm. um, uh, nudge stock was on um, a few months ago, mm. which is the, the behavioral science um, 
festival that Ogilvy is involved with, and um, I went to um, went to register because it was free, but it still had things like you know you know limited numbers and things like that, and I was laughing, going. Because as soon as I looked at it, I kind of noticed it, and then I was like, "Hang on, ah, it's very clever. They're uh, using using all of these things as part of their own um, their their own uh, website, which kind of made me laugh because, of course, a uh, a, a conference about behavioural science should be full of um, should be full, full of, of it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and of course, then your your, your audience. Um, you know, should should be somewhat educated in these things when, and we recognise them everywhere it, as well. But then I noticed it still had an effect on me, even when I when I mm. psychological when I when I called it out, it actually still, yeah. you know still had the same effect. So uh, they're uh, powerful. I think that I think that's it. So look, there, there's a huge number of points that I'm just. I think we're going to run out of time. I, I don't think we can get to, but. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the ultimate takeaway for me, I think there's a lot more to explore on these cognitive biases and, and we'll go into, in a future episode, we will do it, we'll, we'll go into um, some of the specific results and outcomes that came from this test. It's, it's um, you know, very, very interesting and, and can certainly build on a broader discussion. Although I think you know, the, the reason I didn't get into it, the problem I had with it is that, that it was a little bit like what we discussed in the last episode about, you know, economic models in, in that, you know, it, it was, there's never a state where, you know, you're going to have, uh, you know, one brand completely exploit all of these prices and another not exploited at all. You know, so, so it was, it was a very unrealistic scenario that yeah. they actually built out. And, and, you know, and, and then they, they spoke a lot about sort of like that they also, as part of this, they developed fake brands. That that looked like you know they they developed logos for them and that, and they were certainly um, relevant to the category and then they sort of they, they tested it again introducing those brands against the preferred brand uh, and still found that these biases could pull them away but then of course in order to do that they had to create a scenario where that brand had maybe hundreds of five star reviews you know which of course well if you're a new challenger brand to a market. You know, how are you going to get hundreds of five-star reviews? And, of course, the other brand, the established brand, is likely to have a very good reviews as well and all these kind of things. So a lot yeah. of it I just thought was how actionable is this? And, you know, if, if you, you know, some of the stats were like, you know, in 98% of the time they, you know, this they switched over to this brand. But you go, well, really, that's very unrealistic, you yeah. know. So, so, so yeah. um, but, but I still thought there were some really important things. But for me, it was the, you know, I think the really important takeaway from this and I think what the lasting takeaway that will still be relevant 10, 20, hopefully 100 years from now from this was the development of this model, you know, whereas in 2009 we got the, the, the that consideration stage of the decision-making journey has now been further expanded to be, a, you know, a two-phase stage of initial consideration and, and then active evaluation, that now we have a further broadening of that to, to this, this um, you know, exploration and evaluation loop. I think that's, that's great. And then now what we have is this model that, um, you know, the way they presented in this report is you've got sort of exposure, this ring of exposure, yep. which is, you know, exposure to a brand, which may be your lifetime exposure. It could be a minute, you know, but it's this sort of all touch points, this, this effect of all the touch points that you may have experienced, you know, at any time around a particular brand. And then you've got um, the the trigger, which now then moves into 
this um, you know, state of consideration, which is initial consideration. Then you've got your you know, active evaluation, exploration loops, uh, you know, and, and we sort of go through that. And then we have our, um, you know, purchase decision and our post-purchase experience. And that is where the, the model, you know, sort of lands to, today. Um, and, and I think that that's a really, really valuable ex- expansion of that model. And that now this idea of, of, you know, living in the messy middle, and maybe this is something we can discuss in future podcasts as well of, okay, well, what are the actionable actionable insights from that and I think there are a number of really obvious ones when you start to sit down about that and go okay well now if we're looking at active evaluation what are those you know infinite journeys that someone could go on what are those loops you know what are the different review sites what are the different forums the the you know uh, opinions the you know all the different places that you may go and you know what are all the shortcuts that we're going to be looking for in order to get us to a point where we're willing to make a decision and how does our brand come up in all those places and how does it represent how does it compare to other brands and you know at what opportunities can we potentially insert you know something that can can um, bump our target consumer out, out of that, that loop Make and a into a purchasing decision. Make a decision. Um, I think the concept of a trigger is a really good one. It's always like the snap out of it because, um, um, you know, because uh, it's easy to do, isn't it? We get into that. Yeah. I can attest yeah. to that. And I think it's an important focus point too, right? Like if we now know, like all of this model, if we now know the, the, the trigger is the important thing, right? That the, the getting people to, to act and it's not just a, a, you know, abandoned part scenario, get them to make that purchase while they're on the landing page. It's now actually broader than your website. It's actually throughout, you know, all the massive, messy middle of, of internet touch points or, or even real life touch points. Um, you know, how can we start to evaluate every one of those and put those triggers in? That actually focuses us as marketers. And yeah. that's what I love about this research. Any research that focuses us at mar- as marketers allows us to, to crystallize, you know, an important part of that marketing process and, and act in a meaningful way is, is going to, to make us better marketers and, and improve our, our brand's performance. Interesting. Yeah, lots to unpack. We might need a second um, second go at this with some, because it'd be good to p- pull apart a few real key, um, yeah, like actual things of um, that, that people can take away and focus on. So, yeah, yeah, let's next. definitely do that. But uh, certainly, this has broken the, um, you know, our our uh, concept of a of a short snappy <laughs> podcast um, so we, we, oh. we definitely should leave this one here but um, you know it's a great paper check it out De- uh, decoding decisions the messy middle of purchase behavior Google are going really hard with this so you you know you'll find it a- anywhere that, that Google uh, think with Google is, is probably the place that I'd direct you to yep. um, we'll, we'll of course put the links in in the show notes and and all these kind of things and you know it's probably a lot of commentary I haven't actually read any of the commentary about this yet so I'm, I'm you know, these are my own early um, sort of thoughts on, on this, but I'm keen. I imagine that there'll be a lot of other discussion about this and and, um, and that it will be something that we can explore in, in greater detail and time. Awesome. Well, thanks for the chat, mate. Brilliant. Um, yes, thank looking you. Looking forward to reading into that. I think um, it sounds like a great study. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's it's been really good. All right, so we will leave it there. Uh, look, as always, if you have loved the podcast, then that is all you need to do. Love the podcast is enough for us, I think, and and love the, the show. But if you if you'd like to show your support in any way, um, you know, you can do so by sharing, leaving reviews, sending us a, a message, um, you know, whatever. Whatever strikes you is good, but we'd love to, to certainly hear from you um, if, if this has been meaningful in any way. And we will catch you next time. See you later, Sam. Talk soon. Speak soon. Thanks, Dan. Bye.